Well, since today is uh, the first Sunday of the month, we celebrate the Lord's Supper, which means we don't have our regular children's sermon, so we're going to go right into the sermon. If you have your Bibles, would you open it to the letter of 1 John? We're going to look at a few texts there. Uh, so 1 John is way towards the back of your Bible, just a few before Revelation. Uh, the first Sunday of every year, it's been our uh, tradition to have a sermon that we call the annual state of the church. Um, sometimes we focus on a single aspect of the ministry that we want to draw your attention to or some kind of important central reality of us. And as I was considering what to do for this sermon, I was thinking, you know, the past year, two years since all the stuff with COVID and all of the unrest, my thought was, what would be most helpful to you in this? What, what about our church or what kind of core truth could I point you to that may be helpful to you as you consider everything that's going on? And I just thought of God's love. I know it's very simple, and then I thought, well, First John has a lot about God's love. I actually just did a Bible search on love, and First John had more than most, and so I like First John. So what I want to do is look, especially in chapter 3 and into chapter 4, and simply consider the love of God for us and our love in return. Now, one of the God's love isn't difficult, and yet it is. And one reason that God's love is difficult when we talk about it is because how much we presume on it, if I could put it that way. What do I mean by that? I mean, we consistently, as Christians, aren't given to thinking much at all. But especially with any kind of nuance or in any depth of God's love, we just take it for granted. God is love. God loves everybody, right? God loves everybody, right? Without distinction. Well, no. In John 3.16, which I'm sure you could all do by heart, we read there, for God so loved the world, right? And we just stop there. For God so loved the world. And that's what we know of God's love. God loves everybody everywhere, always and forever, without any distinction, without any difference. And because that's as deep as we're willing to go in considering God's love, I think we sometimes fail to know the greatness of his love for his people. John 3.16 continues, that whosoever believes in him should not perish and have eternal life. The Son, God did not send the Son in the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And then verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And so there is distinction in God's love. God's love does make distinctions. 
Now, this isn't unfamiliar to you. Husbands and wives love each other in a way that they shouldn't love anybody else. In fact, you know that if your husband loves others, especially other women, more than you as his wife, there's a problem. Vice versa, correct? And nobody complains that their spouse loves him or her more than anybody else. Same thing goes with children. I don't love your children as much as I love my children. And I don't think any of you are frustrated with me for that. You know, it would be wrong of me to elevate my care and attention and affection for other children above my children. That would be to be a bad father. And so we understand. We, we even have it as far as our own nation or our own community. If you live in Rhinelander, you probably love Rhinelander more than Monaco, especially more than Crandon. So we understand this distinction-making in love, right? And yet when it comes to God, we hate that his love makes distinctions. It actually angers Christians. They fight about it. They leave churches over that God makes distinctions in love. And so in order to start out the new year and ask you to consider something about Pine Grove Community Church, I want you to think about Pine Grove Community Church and our understanding of God's love. One other thing by way of introduction, in Ephesians chapter 3, there is a prayer of the Apostle Paul. And his prayer is that God's Spirit would fill God's people that they might have strength to comprehend God's love. That's the gist of the prayer. He says he bows his knees before the Father that God may strengthen us with his power by his spirit in our hearts that we may have strength to comprehend the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. It's hard to know the love of God is Paul's prayer. It doesn't come naturally nor easily. You need God's power by God's Spirit working within you for you to be able to comprehend it all, the great love with which God has loved you in Christ. So as we come to this truth, this central reality in Scripture, in our lives of God's love, don't take it for granted that you'll come by it easily or cheaply. Like all things in our faith, it's going to take some fight. It's going to take prayer. It's going to take dependence on God himself. Wouldn't that be his grace and power that you might know his love? Wouldn't that be great if 2022 was the year that you grew in your comprehension in your understanding, in your feeling of the great love with which God has loved, which, with which He has loved you in Christ. Wouldn't that be a good goal for this year to know the love of God unlike you've ever known it before? So that's what I want to consider. So in 1 John, I have a few texts I want us to read 
And so we're going to start in chapter 3, verse 1, and then skip to some other verses in chapter 3, and then into chapter 4. So 1 John 3, 1, and then to 3, 11. 1 John 3, 1, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Now down to verse 11 through 18. For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And now down to 4, 7 through 5, 3. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son in the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love Because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he does not love his brother whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Let's pray. Father, help us now by the power of your Holy Spirit to know more fully, more deeply the great love with which you loved us in Christ and then teach us, O God, to be more loving by laying down our lives for each other as your Son has done for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This letter was written by 
the beloved apostle, the apostle that Jesus was most near with, most intimate with. He is sometimes referred to as the apostle of love, the apostle John. John was a pastor, and John wrote this letter to a church that was in deep trouble. This church was fighting, and part of the fight were church leaders or church members who were acting in ways that were very unloving towards the church. They were separating from the church. They were refusing to help people. They were teaching false things about Jesus, and yet they were still maintaining that they were Christians. And so there was a lot of confusion And confusion at the central reality, what is a Christian? What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be part of God's family? And central to that is God's love. And so the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle John, gets down to mere Christianity. What's at the heart of it? How do you know if you're really a Christian? How do we define what is and what isn't biblically sincere, faithful love for God and trust in God's Son. And what I read is the answer. It boils down to love. If you want to know if you're new to this or it's been a while and you're just kind of floating along, what is the essence of sincere Real Christianity, it is love. It is first God's love for us in Christ. Second, our love for God as seen in how we treat God's people. And so I thought, with 2021 being, for some of you it's a glorious year. We had several marriages, lots of babies being born. Some of you got new and better jobs. And some of you made more money in 2021 than any other year. Some of you are doing well, and then some of you aren't. You've had a very difficult year, and maybe a mixture of both. Isn't it helpful to just sit back and consider the love of God for us, and then how we love each other? Now, in this letter, you might consider God's love in in two ways. There's two loves, if you would. You heard him. There is God's love for his church displayed not in God saying he loves us, but in God taking action in love by sending and sacrificing his son. In this is love, or in this the love of God would make manifest that God sent his son into the world. So that's the first love in John is God's love for us. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And while we were yet sinners, while we were yet not loving God, God loved us and sent his son who was sacrificed for us. So at the heart of biblical Christianity is that the second love then is our love for each other within the church, within the local church. That love for each other is motivated first by God's love for us. And in chapter 4, verse 20, the true test of our love for God 
is whether or not we love those whom God loves. Because it's really easy to say, I love God, right? That's what these false troublemakers in the church were saying. They were just boasting of how great their love for God was. And so John says, "Eh, eh, eh, hold on. You don't love those whom God loves. So you don't love God. So those are the two loves in John. God's love for us in Christ and then our love for each other because of God's love for us. So let's look at those two, but let's start just simply. Look at chapter 4, verse 7. As we consider the difficulty of the love of God, the complexity of it, let's keep it simple. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So the simplicity of it is, the very essence of God is love. God is love. And then, if we are his children, if he has birthed us anew and grafted us into his family, the truest reality of God will begin to become the truest reality of us, correct? How many of you have ever gotten into those BBC British shows? Watch those? Yeah, right? And, and do you ever find yourself beginning to talk like them after you've watched it? You get a little British accent, right? Or if you maybe grew up somewhere not here and then you moved up here or closer to the youper, you start taking on these youperisms. We become like others. Others impact us. And how much more then when you are adopted into the family of God and filled with God's Spirit and come to know God's love, you begin to be like your Father, transformed by His grace more and more into His likeness and image, which is love. So that's the simplicity of it. That's the essence of sincere faith in Christ that we come to know that God so loved us that he sacrificed his son for us, and then we begin to take on that kind of love for those whom God loves. So if if you want to know something about Pine Grove, this is what we're about. This is what we want to be about. This is what we aspire to be about. And, and we want it to be very tangible and very practical. We often make very specific, specific application to what does it look like to be a Christian? What does it look like in every aspect of our life to live out this love of God? So Pine Grove and God's love for us. If you were to want to become a member of Pine Grove, you would take a class and The central part of the class is us walking you through what we believe the Bible teaches, our statement of faith. 
And there are a list of several important central biblical truths. What do we believe about who God is? What do we believe about the Trinity? What do we believe about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? What do we believe about God's sovereignty? What do we believe about who God has made us to be? What do we believe about uh, the sinfulness of man? What do we believe about end time scenario? And on and on and on and on. But at the heart of that all, of what our church is to believe is the love of God. What, what is our theology? What does Pine Grove believe at the center of its church? Well, it begins with the love of God. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 6, oops, that's the wrong one, verse 16, by this we know love. Wrap your mind around that statement a second. The one thing that you are convinced that you can know better than anything else is love. Every song you hear on the radio is essentially about that. Love, right? Now, it's often about erotic love. That's, That's what our world equates love with today is sexual, sensual. Everything in our world is sexual and equals love. And so it's, it's, in a sense, difficult. But l- listen to this. By this we know love. He's saying there that, first of all, we don't know love all that well. You have to come to know it. And how do we know? By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And so at the center of our theology, the center of biblical Christianity, our understanding of God's love is the cross. When we talk about God's love, we are talking about the cross. We are talking about the sacrifice of his son. That God planned and took the initiative to send his son in order to sacrifice himself for us. And so of all of the many, many important biblical truths of issues of theology, of what we do of ministry, the foremost, the chief, the highest is... That God in Christ laid down his life for us, and only by that do we know love. This past Christmas, in our sermons, one of the consistent foci was this. Why did Christ become man? Why would he do that? For what purpose? Did the infinite, eternal God take on the finite, limited nature, being of man? Why would he do that? Why would he leave the glories of heaven to enter this as a man, as a servant? Why? So that he could have a body to die on a cross in our place for our sins. That's the only reason. Now, glory to God, that's the ultimate. By this we know love. Okay, so teens. One of the great difficulties as a teenager is this issue of love. It's confusing. You start to want to separate distance 
distinguish yourself from your parents' family. Dad's love, mom's love, you still love their love, but it's not the thing anymore. You, you want to find love elsewhere. You want to find relationships. You want to find yourself elsewhere. It's a difficult time. It's confusing. Mom and dad struggle to release you from that. They want to keep the strings attached. And, and yet you are becoming your own person. And you are deciding for yourself, what is love? Who loves me? Who do I love? And so if you can get this one thing right, all of the rest will fall into place. The one way that you know love as a team is that God the Father sacrifices Son for you. And if you as a teen, as you go through, through that process of differentiating, of becoming your own person, if you can keep that, then, then all else will come into place. So, when we read in 1 John 4, 7 that all love is from God, we're reading that all love finds its beginning, its source in God. And that that love is most clearly displayed when God sent his only son of the world. He loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. I want to be a little bit more specific. When we talk about Pine Grove's theology, which is a theology centered on the love of God, there is an aspect of it that is often unpalatable, distasteful to people. And in 1 John 4.19, John gets right at it. We love because he first loved us. In 4.10 he says, Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. This is speaking of God's sovereignty in his love. Sometimes we like to view ourselves as something of morally neutral, completely, utterly free to decide to love God or not. That's a common view of humanity. That we're free. We're not really compelled by anything outside of us or inside of us. We're just completely free to either choose to love God or to reject the love of God for other things that we want to love more. You know that's not true, right? You are not a morally neutral, completely free to choose or reject God. You know yourself well enough to know that isn't true, correct? Even if you have a philosophy that says that 
do you know yourself well enough to know that that is not true of you? That if you were left to yourself, you would never, ever choose to love God. Hasn't your life proved that? Last week is often a freer week as far as time for people, right? You even lose track of what day it is. This week between Christmas and New Year's. You see, you have a lot of freer time during last week, correct? Is that true? Yeah. What would you do with your time? You have this time. Much more free to use it without a lot of the constraints of work and maybe a lot of the family's gone and you can just do what you want to do. What did you do? Did you freely use more of that free time to go after and seek God because you love Him? I got free time. Your first thought was, I got more free time. How can I seek God? How many of you had that thought last week? (laughs) I didn't. (laughs) Not once. I, I struggled to read the Bible last week with my freer time. We struggled as a family to sit down and do anything towards God with my, with our much more free time. We did watch a lot of stuff on television, a lot. A lot. And it didn't help me love God at all. And we're, I'm a Christian. You're Christians. You have your sins forgiven, the Holy Spirit living within you, and you think before you were that, you were free to love God? So how do you ever come to love God? How do you ever come to see the love of God in the sacrifice of his son? How? Because he first loved you. This is what the Bible means when it teaches that we're born dead in sin. It doesn't mean that we're physically unable to do things. It means that we don't want to refuse to do the one thing. Love God. It's talking about our will, our heart. It's corrupted. It's twisted. It's darkened. We are free to love, but we're constrained by our nature, our heart, our affection. It's not that we can't love God. It's that we won't love God. Why? Because we love ourselves. Because we love what we want to do. We love all of the things that God has given us, but not the God who has given them to us. That's our nature. We do love. None of you is loveless. It's just that we won't love God. We'll love all of the gifts of God as if they are God. We'll give our attention, our affection, our thought, our money, our time, our energy, everything 
to those things, but not to him who has given it to us. And the only way to break that destruction is when God comes to us and loves us first. That's love. You love those kind of stories too, by the way. We love the stories in our world where something that is loveless is greatly loved and cherished and transformed. We love those stories. That's what God has done to us. We lived lives rejecting, refusing, willfully denying to love him who made us and gave us all things. And instead of God turning his back, God squashing us, he sent his son to die for us. And then by his Holy Spirit, gave us a new nature so that we could respond in love to him who has loved us first. And one of the central truths at Pine Grove is that God is sovereign. God's love for us comes first. God is the priority. If God first loved you, and it wasn't that you were so lovable and that you loved God, so God responded to you. Who gets the glory? Who deserves all the praise and honor and thanksgiving? God. That's what we want Pine Grove to be about. We want our church to be about loving God, to be about delighting in God, to be about serving God. Why? Because He first loved us. That's it. That's what's at the heart of what we want our fellowship to be about. So we want to continually focus on God's love for us and sacrificing his son. And that he came to us in love and plucked us up out of the pit and washed us and clothed us and adopted us into his family. And that he is so patiently teaching each of us the greatness of his love and how to love in return. That's what we want to be about. And so start there, brothers and sisters. Start with this truth. God first loved you. Just keep that in your heart. God first loved you. I know that sounds so simple, but that is as transforming as it can get. It's not about you. It's not about how good you are. It's not about how righteous you are as a matter of part. It's about that God in heaven, the eternal infinite God, sent his son to die and then came to you by his spirit and adopted you into his family. God first loved you. Everything begins with God. So that's the first love. God's love and sending his son is the most important aspect of our church. And yet, God's freely given love, which brings us into his family, is free, but it isn't. (laughs) How's that for some heresy? Make sure you write that down. God's love for us places obligations on us. 
It's free in that there's nothing you can do to earn it or deserve it. But it's not free in that it places obligations on you. And it's not a burdensome obligation. It's an obligation to love. (laughs) It's an obligation to love. Look at chapter 5, verse 3. For this is the love of God. The word of there is a bit ambiguous. Let's put in a new one. This is love for God. What we, God loved us. Now we need to love him. What does that look like? We keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Isn't that crazy? Kids, how many of you have ever thought that when your parent told you to do something, you went, well, that's not a burden. I'm glad to do that. You wicked little punks. Why aren't God's commandments burdensome? There's two reasons. One, because Christ kept them in our place, and his record of obedience is now our record. And so the love of the Father is not ultimately dependent on your record of command keeping. Two, all of his commandments are one, love. And when you love others, it's really wonderful. But if we persist in nagging and lying and gossiping and being deceitful and It, it doesn't go well relationally, does it? His commandments are not burdensome because they are love. So we are to respond to God's love with love. In 1 John 4.20, if you look there, we do have a problem, and the problem is us. If anyone says, I love God. So how many of you have said that? How many of you would say that? If afterwards, when you're leaving and I ask you, do you love God? What would you say? Yes. I love God. Okay. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has seen. Let me put it in everyday modern parlance. Talk is cheap. We are prone to deceive ourselves by talk. Correct? That's what was the problem in this church. Everybody said they loved Jesus. but Boy, did they treat each other very poorly. They'd all sing the songs, hands raised, tears in their eyes. But man, they couldn't be bothered to care for each other. The reality is, God's love for us is not cheap. Now, God does say, he does say that he loves us. In fact, he writes poems in the Bible about his love for us and psalms and so on. 
but they're all based on his action. That he didn't withhold his own son, but sacrificed him. And so, because God has loved us such, we are to love, not, in 1 John 3, it says, not in word or talk, 3.18, but in deed and in truth. So this is the second love. It goes like this. We all, by nature in Adam, are outside of God's family. We do not have this love of God that saves and is fatherly. By nature, we don't have it. And yet God in love sent his son to pay for our sins. He comes to us by his Holy Spirit and adopts us into his family. And so now God has, in Christ, this family, all of us who have faith in Christ. So God has set his love on us. We're his children. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called his children. So we are. All of us, right? So we have the love of God. We have God's fatherly adoption. And can you love, can you say you love the Father if you don't actively love those that the Father has sacrificed his son for and adopted into his family? Every father knows this. Mothers even more. Familiar with the phrase, like, mother bear, claws come out. If somebody doesn't love her cubs, you can't say you love her if you're not loving her cubs, right? You can't say you love God's, God the Father if you don't love his children whom he calls by his own name. And so this is what we want for Pine Grove Community Church. First, that we know the love of God. And second, that we actively love each other in many ways. Now, I don't want that to be condemning only. This is something I think if you've been here at any time that you see happens quite a bit here. Especially in many of the unknown, unquantified, not in the bulletin, just, just deeds of sacrificial love that takes some time and energy and thought where there's a need and it gets met. How many of you know that Pastor Mark moved this past week? Did you know that? How many of you didn't know? Raise your hand if you didn't know he moved from Eagle River down here. And how many of you know that a couple of families in church came and helped him load and unload? You don't know that, right? Isn't that wonderful? Why did they do that? Fetzers, why did you guys do that? Probably because your mom made you. Why did you guys do that? Do you know why you did that? Because you love him. Because you know God's love. Why do some of you show up at a widow's house when she needs her gutters cleaned? Why? Nobody's going to know you did it. Why do you do that? Why do we do these things? Because God's love has been given to us in Christ, and we want to love 
likewise. Now, I do want to prompt some of you. We have a, a lot of new people, newer people to Pine Grove come in the last couple of years, maybe the last couple of months. And one of the difficulties is kind of really assimilating and really becoming where you feel apart. Now, some of that just takes time. It does. It takes years to really assimilate, really become part of. But the main way to do it is to give yourself to serving where there's needs here. More relationships will be developed in that way than in any other way. Just little things. I'm not talking about filling like a big volunteer position. Just caring for each other, getting a directory and praying through it regularly. Giving of your time and energy in care for each other. That's the main thing we want to have happen here. That's who we are endeavoring to become as a church. To know the love of God in Christ, that he first loved us, and then to love each other likewise. Is that a good goal? Well, let's ask God to help. Let's pray. Father, please do help us. We know that though your love never fails, that your love is ours in Christ, that it'll never decrease, can never be separated, that our love often is very little. And so God, help us. Help us to know the greatness of your love, the sureness of it, the security of it in Christ. And then help us in in many little ways to grow to be more loving towards your people whom you've loved first. Because we love you. And God, we know that this is not natural to us. We need your grace to do it. And so God, please give us grace that we might be more loving. In Jesus' name, amen.